It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Bleacher Report, Howard Beck. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. All right, NBA Daily Assist brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Out to the Sprint special guest line we go. Lease any uh, phone and get an iPad or Samsung tab for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Joining us now from the Bleacher Report, he is Howard Beck. Howard, Happy New Year. How are you? How are you with us? Hey, there you are. Hi, Howard. Happy New Year. <laughs> happy New Year, fellas. How are you? So, Howard, I have a question for you. When Austin calls you, do you fumble the receiver around and get all nervous? And uh, and uh, does Austin then uh, get angry with you because you're not every every single time? Those I, are, I'll just never get used to Austin calling me. Yeah, those of you who haven't had the chance to read Howard's uh, story about uh, David Stern, check it out. It is uh, some good reading. Appreciate that. Thank you. And yes, uh, I, eventually I did not fumble anymore when David would call. I, I just kind of, you know, manned up and, and uh, prepared for the worst uh, and uh, and actually looked forward to those. I, I, I enjoyed my exchanges with David over the years. Well, Howard, uh, that's a great place to start, of course, the passing of the Commissioner Emeritus. And I would encourage uh, all our listeners to read what you wrote at Bleacher Report. But what was your reaction uh, when when you heard the news? And tell us a little bit about the story. Well, I mean, you know, the first blow was just, you know, obviously a few weeks ago when the, the news first emerged of him having gone to the hospital with a brain hemorrhage, which, you know, obviously sounded really scary and, and serious at the at that moment. And all you're thinking at that time is, okay, this is scary. This is, you know, potentially life threatening. But, you know, uh, they're, they're they're not they're not saying anything to indicate otherwise. So un- until otherwise, until I hear otherwise, I'm just going to believe that this is something he can overcome and come out of. I'm not a medical, medical expert, and, and I, I, you know, I, I, I tried not to uh, allow myself to get too alarmist about it. Um, and there's part of me, and I've, I've said this a few times the last couple of days, there's part of me that just felt like David Stern is, is indestructible. Like, I just couldn't imagine, it's hard to imagine the world without him on, on so many levels, and David just being as strong and, and tough of a personality as he was, like I just kind of got this image in my head, like at some point David was going to like wake up, pull the, the, uh, the, the hoses out of his, his, his nose on that hospital bed, curse at a couple of doctors and nurses saying, what the bleep am I doing here? Get out of my way and march right out of there. Like I, that, that was obviously my, my hope on some level and, and, and kind of my belief. I just, I just didn't think, uh, I, I, I just didn't think it would happen. And so the last few weeks, I just kind of held out hope, even though the signs were not great. And it's devastating. Um, you know, look, I, I was not as close to, to David as a lot of people. I wouldn't even say we were close. Um, he's somebody that I had many interactions with over the last 20 years, going all the way back to my, you know, first couple of years covering the Lakers in starting in 97. And, and I wrote about some of that. Um, and I just, you know, like, what I, I, one of the things I said in that story is that, you know, David wasn't always likable or easy to like. And some of that's his personality and some of that's just the role that he had to play. But you, you could not help but admire him, no matter what else you felt about him, the job he did, the positions he took, the moves he made. He was an absolute titan. And he just, 
his, his accomplishments for this league speak for themselves. It's a long list, and I'm sure you guys have gone over so much of it over the last couple of days already. So I don't need to repeat it all. We know, we know what he did for the game of basketball and for the NBA. But my, my personal interactions with him, which I, I went into in that, in that piece on Bleacher Report, it's just more about just kind of trying to find, you know, that, that, that productive space with him. You know, the, initially he's very intimidating because he is such a strong personality and because he's very aggressive and because if you don't come prepared or if the question is a little off, or the premise is off, or you don't have all the facts behind it, or he just objects to the entire concept of what you're proposing, he's going to come at you. And then you learn that that's the way, and you learn how to combat that and repel that and push back. And David's the kind of person who respected that. That, you know, now, if you're wrong, you're just wrong. But if you come at him with a premise that he's not convinced of, and he says, nope, you're wrong, and here's why, and he belittles it, and he belittles you, whatever, then you say, wait, hold on. But... I have these facts, like these things did happen, David, or this person did tell me this. You can't say that this is irrelevant or you can't say that this is inaccurate. This is, you may disagree with where I'm heading with this story idea, whatever, but you push back and he would respect it. I think a lot of David's personality is just, he's one of these guys who wanted to test you. And he did. He tested me. He tested all of us in the media. And I think he probably did that with everyone who ever worked for him or with him. Um, he's just a, a force of nature. And, to, you know, the, the cliche about him being the smartest guy in the room, I, I think he probably always was. I think it would be pretty rare for him not to be at any given moment. And so that's part of it, too. Like, his, his intelligence and just his, uh, you know, quick-wittedness, his, his adeptness, uh, just as a, as a, you know, rhetorically, made him an intimidating presence because you knew that he was always going to have a response. And he, he could come back at you hard and... and not all of us are as good at, at, or as quick on our feet in the way that David is. And so it was always uh, a test. But, uh, again, as I wrote, it made me a better reporter because I knew that if I was going to ask a question, whether in a press conference or if I had a, a, a sit-down with him or a phone call with him, I had to be prepared. I had to be very sure of my premise. I had to be prepared for him to come back at me and possibly belittle that premise or try to punch holes in it. And that's, listen, that's part of reporting, too. We, we, you know, we, we go on, on hunches sometimes or facts that we think lead to a certain place. And the whole point of interviewing people is to, is to test your premise. And, you know, no better tester of that premise than David Stern. Other than his contributions to the financial well-being of the league, uh, what, what, what would you count as his major contribu- contributions? You know, a small, smaller market areas sort of championed him because he championed them. Uh, what, do you, what do you think was his major uh, gift? Yeah, it's funny. I think on the small market thing, just a quick aside there, I mean, I think it, it, it's kind of a mixed bag because I think a lot of the small markets always feel like the league you know, is, is, is ignoring them or somehow uh, doesn't, doesn't pay them enough respect or give them enough uh, attention because they're obsessed with New York and L.A. And, and Chicago, Boston, wherever. At the same time, David clearly was a champion of the small markets. I mean, the, the league did not have to stand by the New Orleans franchise after Hurricane Katrina devastated that city. I mean, it would have been easy to say, listen, we gave it a, a, as good a go as we could, but it's, the, the city's just not equipped to, to have a team right now. Like, they, they could have just decided to have the, the Hornets, that, that that time called the Hornets, now Pelicans, move. But they didn't. They stood by them. He made sure to do everything possible to keep the Sacramento Kings in Sacramento. 
And then, of course, you know, the flip side is Seattle, which was a major market, you know, lost its team, and several other markets lost their teams on, on David's watch. Um, but I do think he was an incredible advocate for the small markets and understood that, you know, without the small markets being viable and thriving, too, that you don't really have a healthy league. Um, but that, you know, that's a struggle that goes way beyond any one person's abilities to, uh, to, to change, you know, market dynamics. Um, in terms of his overall accomplishments, I mean, God, God I, just, I just don't know. There's just so many directions you can go with it. I think a lot of people point, and, and, and rightfully so, to David standing by Magic Johnson when Magic uh, revealed that he had contracted HIV. And at a time when, and again, you know, for your younger listeners who, who may not know this or, or have a, an awareness of this, when AIDS first became a, you know, a, a, a global I don't know, crisis is the right word, but when, this, when, when AIDS came into being, it was a very scary thing. And that Magic Johnson had come down with HIV and, and, and come public with this and retired because of it at a time when there was such a, a, a lot of fear and paranoia and misinformation and stigma attached to it was just a, a, a really seminal moment uh, for, for our entire society. And David Stern and the league stood by Magic Johnson. And, you know, obviously the, the, the outpouring of support for him put him back in the All-Star game. They allowed him to play. He becomes the MVP. All of that, you, you can't quantify what a difference that made for people who were struggling with that disease or with AIDS or uh, – the, the the everybody who worked around that issue and trying to promote the the correct information and awareness of it that the, the NBA took such a big uh, uh, hand in that um, again is, is all, all all because of, of David Stern and his leadership and and those working with him in the NBA so like that's that's one that I think always stands out because it was beyond basketball. Howard, switching gears to the Jazz real quick, I, I want to ask you about Rudy Gobert. And around here, whether or not Rudy is going, and Donovan too for that matter, are going to be all-stars is, is certainly a hot topic. And we know how disappointed Rudy was last year that, that he did not make it. And in the past, and I brought this up with Gordon, in the past we have celebrated defensive bigs with certainly all-star birds. I mean, I think, uh, you know, Dikembe Mutombo, Ben Wallace back with the Pistons. Yet Rudy doesn't seem to get that type of, of appreciation uh, and I guess my ultimate question for you is, is, is Rudy's national reputation, is he underrated? It's such a hard thing to, to, to know how to answer. Um, I, I don't know how to quantify whether someone's underrated or overrated. I mean, not, you know, I, there are certain players I have personally feelings about, like, oh, I think that guy is underrated or whatever, but how somebody is perceived across the country. I mean, I guess, I guess if, if, if there's a metric for this, it's, if you don't get a, voted into the All-Star game by the, by the fans um, and then the coaches don't pick you, but you're really, really good or great, I guess by definition you've become underrated, right? You're not getting the recognition that you've earned by your achievements. I guess that would probably be one definition of underrated in sports. So, yeah, I think he hasn't gotten all the recognition that he probably has earned, but I also think that there's just a numbers game involved. Part of this is that, you know, listen, you point to Ben Wallace and to Kemi Mutombo. Okay, those are fine examples and kind of understandable analogies, but when they were playing, the position of center was on the all-star ballot. It's not anymore. And so their, their competition was only at most 
14 other guys in their conference at the same position. Now they're competing against probably the toughest position in the NBA. I mean, I don't know if it's the toughest. Guard, the guards are pretty good, too. But the front court, when you make it just front court, and now you're competing against Kevin Durant or LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and on and on and on, that makes it harder um, in both conferences, of course. So, you know, it, it, it's the, if, if there were a center on the ballot, if that were still a position to vote on, and it were, uh, and it were required that one of your front court positions be that position, maybe Gobert would have already made it, you know, a couple of times instead of this being an annual debate. We're trying to figure out how, or how he would fit into an all-star game. It seems as though there's peer pressure to let guys uh, exhibit their talents. And uh, Rudy, his whole game is built on making other players look bad. I wonder how that would go over. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, if, if you're a pick-and-roll big who, you know, you're not, you're not a guy who's going to you know, go out there to an all-star game and put on a, a show by – Putting the ball between your legs, crossing the guy up, and you know driving, and but you know there and, and obviously yeah, nobody wants to see a bunch of shots blocked in an All Star game. You know nobody wants defense in an All Star game, uh, especially now. Like and again, when you reference yeah, when you reference Ben Wallace or Dikembe Mutombo, they played at a time when guys still kind of competed in the All Star game and tried to play defense and and wanted to win and now nobody cares and they're all just going through the motions and just throwing a bunch of alley-oops so the game itself is is kind of a joke frankly and the idea of playing defense in a game you know no not conducive to 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 rudy gobert because his best strength is something that the all-star game kind of eschews so you know uh but he could throw down some great dunks and you know, he could probably hoist a few threes that nobody would, would mind him shooting at that time because it's just an all-star game. I'm, I'm sure he'd, you know, find a way to be entertaining and, and entertain himself. But, yeah, it's probably not the kind of uh, event that caters as well to, to Gobert's greatest strengths. So non-basketball-related question for you real quick, Howard. I, I want to ask what you did with your new on your New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, because i got to admit, I, when I was watching New Year's Rockin' Eve or whatever they call it these days, and they do the, the pan, the crowd shots, I was expecting to see Howard Beck, you know, with a, a champagne bottle in one hand, no glass, of course, but uh, really celebrating the new year. How far off am I? Um. Off by a few miles. Okay. I was uh, right. in, in our neighborhood in Brooklyn, and no, we have never done Times Square. Uh, I think those people are all crazy. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of them are wearing adult diapers because, as I understand it, you get penned in by the NYPD. You have to go there hours ahead of time, go to a spot, and then they, they just put people in, in pens, basically, with all those, those uh, barricades, and you're just stuck there for hours and hours and hours while, yeah, pounding the champagne and everything else. And, um, you know, this was not a cold year in particular, but some years they're out there freezing their tails off and probably wearing adult diapers because (laughs) they're just stuck. So, no, that's not my idea of a glamorous or enjoyable way of spending New Year's Eve. So uh, we got together with some friends, and then there was a party at a uh, a converted, or not converted, but it's an old non uh, firehouse that's no longer being used as a firehouse. So we, we had a nice time and uh, did not need adult diapers. Howard, this is how I know I'm getting old. I was uh, half asleep by the time the New Year came around. So uh, <laughs> there's I got that going for me, which is nice, you know. <laughs> And and totally 
fair way to spend it as well, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know what? You throw the, the whole diaper thing into the mix. With, yeah, uh, that yeah, doesn't that sound doesn't, very appealing, no, does it? No. See, it, uh, I, I've taken the glamour right out of it. So everybody, when you're watching at home, this is the dirty secret that nobody wants to tell you about, about New Year's Eve and all that Times Square revelry and everything. It's not what it's cracked up to be. There's just a whole other side of this that you don't even want to know about. <laughs> but now we do. Yeah, we do. Uh, thanks, Howard. Happy New Year. <laughs> you too, guys. Thanks. Talk to you next week. See you, buddy. Howard Beck from the Bleacher Report. It is the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.